0: Okay, uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are thankful you're with us. We're in uh, week two of a five-week series called "Soul Detox: Clean Living in a Contaminated World." Today's message is all about fear. We're calling it "Scare Pollution." Uh, each week, we're we're tackling areas that be, that can become toxic in our lives. Last Sunday, we looked at words and how words can either be uh, life uh, giving or life taking. They can heal or they can hurt. They can injure. They can uh, but they, they can also be, they can be toxic or they can be um, kind of like a shade tree, like life-giving that Proverbs speaks of. Toxic is anything containing or being poisonous material capable of causing death or serious debilitation. We get sick from things that are toxic. We, we can die from things that are toxic in nature. In relation to our spiritual lives, our faith and growth in Christ can be hindered, slowed down, burdened by things that are toxic and fear is one of those things that, be, that can become a toxic influence in our devotion to Christ. I think I was um, in early grade school, maybe second or third grade. We're living out in the country, and uh, my, my bedroom was up on the second floor along with my sister's bedroom. It was in the middle of the night, and I woke up to this noise downstairs. Everyone was asleep, so I knew it wasn't my parents, uh, but I could hear this kind of continual rustling happening at the bottom of the stairs. Now, my bedroom was basically right around the corner from the top of the stairs. And this noise seemed like it was happening right at the bottom of the stairs, which also was right by our front door. Now, growing up in the country, we didn't really lock anything of anything. We, we didn't, we big door lockers, all right? So I knew the front door was open. This noise is happening at the bottom of the stairs, kind of right around from, um, right around from my bedroom. To say I was gripped with fear would be an understatement. I sat in the hallway, unable to uh, to be seen from the bottom of the stairs, and yet only about four or five feet from the uh, bedroom, or f- from the bathroom, which I so desperately had to visit. Because <laughs> I woke up not just because of the noise, but because I had to go. All right. And all the while, I, I, as I sat there in this in the hallway around the corner, I could hear these noises happening. Uh, at the bottom of the, of the stairs, and in my little grade school mind, I thought for sure there was a robber down there digging through stuff. I mean, I had this whole thing conjured up. I thought, if, if, if I make a run for the bathroom, he's going to see me. Because if you were to walk at the top of the stairs and kind of walk straight, you would hit our bathroom. And so I'm like, well, if there's a robber down there, he's going to see me when I make a run for the bathroom, and and then he's going to come and get me, he's going to find me. I couldn't contact the A-team, Knight Rider was nowhere to be found, the Duke boys, Bo and Luke, and some of you don't get these references, and you have a sad, sad life, (laughs) all right? Go to Netflix and get some quality television. But, okay, Um, but eventually, uh, I'm not sure how long it took, but the fact... That I had to go to the bathroom. My eyes were basically floating. I thought I've got to make a run for this. I got just got to make a run for it. I'll get in, shut the door, I'll lock it, and then hopefully the bad guy doesn't come down and chop down the door. All right. So that's what I did. After I got done, I uh, I shut the bathroom off, uh, bathroom light off quickly. Uh, kind of quietly opened the door and then shot back into my bedroom, back into bed. And all I remember from the rest of the night was I kept hearing these noises, but I thought, well. The bad guy must not have seen me, and at some point, I fell back asleep. The next morning, I woke up to find out the culprit of all that noise, and no, it wasn't a robber, uh, much to the delight of my grade school mind, but it was one of our cats that had been digging in a garbage sack that had been set by the front door that my dad was going to take out with him when he went to work. Just one more reason why we don't have cats at our house, Uh, one of several. But, um, but after the sun came up, the lights turned on, it was absolutely clear. The fear that I was experiencing was illogical, irrational, and frankly, silly. There was not a robber at the bottom of the stairs, and no one was out to get me. It was simply a cat. But in the moment, in my grade school mind, in the, oh my word, I have to go pee, I don't, I don't, but I don't want to die, that fear seemed very, very real. And I'm sure if you look back at your childhood, we could all share some silly fears that we had as kids whether it was the boogeyman or the dark or uh, thunder or something else. Uh, some of us, whether students or adults, we have fears to this day about stuff, some bigger than others, um, spiders, snakes, mice. There's a mouse right there, actually. Seriously, no, there is. Some of you are thinking I'm joking, but they're really they just shot across there. Um, and some of you right now, you have this kind of unsettled like, oh, I think I should stand on my chair and scream. I'm just messing with you. Um, but some of us have, have big fears. You can calm down, all right? Some of us have big fears or little fears like that, but they seem big. Uh, some fears are bigger than others. What if we run out of money? What if I flunk out of school? What if our marriage doesn't last? What if uh, someone I, I put up my affections toward, what if they don't love me? What if I get downsized and I lose my job. And what happens over time is these fears begin to build up this weight like a backpack of sorts and, that we carry around. And we take on this baggage of fear and our lives begin to be uh, dominated or directed by fear rather than faith. And we can become paralyzed by fear. And worse yet, we shift our trust from the God of the universe to ourselves. And in short, the more our lives are identified and covered in fear, the less likely we are to grow spiritually and truly follow and trust Jesus. Generally, most of our fears fall into four different categories. A fear of loss. This can be loss of a loved one, a spouse, a child, a parent, a loved one. Uh, The fear of financial loss, such as a loss of a job or an investment that goes bad, or fear of losing control. You're working under this assumption that if you can just keep your fingers on everything your tabs on everyone, and all the plates spinning that you won't experience a loss of control. It's wishful thinking. It's wishful thinking at best. Because no matter how much you think you have stuff under control, you and I are not like God who's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present in this world. So the fear of loss, what is it for you? What have you feared losing before? What are you most afraid of losing right now? These questions and others that, that I'm going to ask are simply to get us examining our hearts and getting before the Holy Spirit, going, okay, Lord, reveal the anxious thought. Uh, expose the wayward attitude, Psalm 139.23. Reveal what's toxic happening in our hearts that's impacting and hindering our faith and trust in Christ. The next category our fears fall into is that of a fear of failure. This is an area I need to repent of continually in my life. this It just can kind of creep in over the course of time. The fear of failure can drive believers to not walk by faith, but rather by sight alone, which Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, specifically says that as followers of Jesus, it means that we are living by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So God prompts you and me to to go here, say this, do that. And we're like, no. I'm afraid I'll fail. I'm afraid I won't know what to say or you won't come through on providing for me. And so this fear of failure keeps new community groups from launching. It keeps new volunteers from raising their hands because you're not sure if you're going to be able to do it. And so you never really try. And that is toxic fear. Because it's keeping us from obeying our Lord and Savior. So what are you afraid of failing at? The next big category of fear is, is we've, we face the fear of rejection. We fear being abandoned, left alone, rejected. So our focus is not on pleasing God, but on pleasing people. And when those things call us to different destinations, different paths, different things, different ways, we often choose pleasing people over pleasing, and obeying the Lord. Oh, you, you want me to go there on the weekend and do that? And well, I don't want to be rejected. and So I guess I'll go along, even if I know that that's not going to lead me to a place that honors the Lord. This is huge, not just for adults, but for students as well. Are you going to follow the crowd to wherever they go? Or are you going to help lead that crowd to Jesus, saying, follow me as I follow the example of Christ? 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. This fear keeps some of you from getting involved in a 3D community group or opening yourself up to other believers, brothers and sisters in the Lord. You're scared of opening yourself up to people who you may not know. And at the core of it, you're wondering, will they reject me? Like, like will they look at you and go, you struggle with that? You need prayer in that? Oh, I mastered that 10 years ago. I'm so over that. As if biblical biblical community is full of people who have mastered every aspect of their faith and are perfect. I mean, get real. Perfect people are not allowed in community. We are imperfect people making progress in Christ by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, becoming more and more like Jesus each and every day, and we don't do that in isolation. We do that in community. We're following Jesus together. One ingredient of 3D community is authenticity. So we we drop the masks. We get honest about life. The fear of rejection is toxic to say the least. Do you find yourself seeking after the acceptance of those around you rather than living to please and worship your Savior? The last fear that we'll look at is, is that of a fear of the unknown, the fear of what is up ahead, what's around the corner, when will the other shoe drop, do you find yourself kind of walking through life, tiptoeing, kind of eyes looking upward going, what, what's going to happen next? And now maybe for you, some of those fears hit home to your life and heart, so, so now what? What does the Bible have to say about fear? Because if we are to have a soul detox, it isn't just about identifying what's toxic, but then also taking practical steps to get rid of the toxic stuff and replace it with truth. This is what we're after this morning and in community group this week is identifying it, but then speaking biblical truth into these areas. If you have a Bible, open it up to 2, uh, 2 Timothy 1. If you need a good Bible, get one off Guest Connections after the service. Call it your own. Uh, we're going to look at one key verse in 2 Timothy. We're going to look at others, but this is going to be kind of our, our truth anchor, so to speak, for this morning. This is one of those verses, verses that would be great to memorize, to hide away in your heart, Psalm 119.11. So write it on your bathroom mirror, uh, your dashboard, post it on your monitor. Find a way to keep this verse in front of you this week. It says this, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Here's what God didn't give us, a spirit of fear or timidity. So when we feel fearful, when we feel scared, we need to acknowledge the, the truth that this fear doesn't come from God. Our God is all-knowing, always present, all-powerful. And a spirit of fear does not originate in Him. Instead, fear comes from our spiritual enemy, the devil. Think about it from the devil's perspective. He would love to have God's people crippled or frozen by fear. It would be a great play in his playbook. Because then we'd be hesitant to share our faith, step out in obedience, trust in Him in areas that are unknown to us, We'd be unwilling to truly follow Him. We'd say, well, I haven't been there before, Lord, and I don't want to follow You there. We wouldn't say it that strong, but that's what our actions would say. Oh, that's going to cause me to change and cause me to disrupt how I do things. I've always done it this way. I don't want to do them Your way. And we'd be unwilling to change and transform and be renewed. A little over two years ago, we got a dog. Notice we got a dog. Not a cat. Um, if you've been around a while, you've heard me use her as an analogy before. She's like a walking sermon material. It's just fantastic. Um, she's a little Maltese, probably no more than five pounds. Little dog, but a big name of Alina, which is a great time to have the name Alina right now. Uh, she may bear a cool name, but she is often overwhelmed by fear. We have some hardwood in our house, and she's often hesitant, sometimes unwilling to simply walk across the hardwood. If excited enough, she might be able to do it. But there are other times where she simply whimpers at the edge of the area rug, maybe sometimes circling, 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 trying to get up the motivation or something uh, to get across this scary, scary hardwood. And in a similar way, we continue to stand on the edge of taking another step of faith, obedience, deeper devotion, greater love for Christ. We stand on the edge and we whimper, saying, I don't know if I can do it. And we get paralyzed by fear. And in turn, our lives, uh, we live our lives in such a way that we don't have to trust God for anything because we never step out in faith. We never go beyond what is normal to us or what makes sense in our brain. We never go beyond a comfort zone or what we can handle on our own. I mean, have you ever given financially and thought, "Hmm, I don't know, God, I'm going to trust you." H- have you given that? Have you just as one example? Have you gotten to that point, or is it still like, "Well, yeah, we can knock that out." I mean, are our lives walking by faith or walking by sight? A lot of times. We are like the little five-pound dog on the edge of an area rug looking across the way, a perfectly acceptable place to walk, thinking, I don't know if I can do that. I've never been there before. The Holy Spirit dwells in the believer and fear is not a fruit of the Spirit. Rather, as we are led by the Spirit, it will produce in us three characteristics according to this verse. The first is power. In and of ourselves, we don't have the capacity to love our family, serve God, be a good employee, love our friends, raise children, make disciples. You and I need more than ourselves. We need God's power. Now, when we see the word power, we're often worried by this word because we, we associate it with words like brash or arrogant or domineering. But notice what word power is connected to. It's love. You can't disassociate power with God's greatest commandment to love Him and love others. When we just just have power but lack love, we're simply a clanging symbol. 1 Corinthians 13. But God has given us a spirit of power, love, and then that leads to this idea of self-discipline. The discipline to make the right choice to start doing this, to stop doing that, to do more of this, to do less of that, to align our lives with Scripture and seek to, uh, love honor and glorify our savior in all we say and all we do not a spirit of fear but a spirit of power love and self-discipline. In Ephesians 4:14, 4, Paul gives this picture that we are not to be tossed back and forth by the waves of life. We are not to be ruled by fear because oftentimes fearful people are tossed around by their circumstances. Our devotion to Jesus, our relationship with him is not to be determined by our circumstances. We follow Him on the mountaintops. We draw near to Him in the valleys. He is God through all of it, and a God who does not forsake or leave His children alone, Deuteronomy 31.6. Craig Rochelle says this, Fear is placing your faith in the what-ifs rather than in God is. It's allowing your mind to run with the what-ifs rather than anchoring your life in who God is and His unchanging truth. In that childhood story I shared earlier, It was as if the what-ifs were just paralyzing me. What if there's a guy at the bottom of the stairs? What if he hears me or sees me? What if I can't hold it any longer? What if, what if, what if? And some of you can relate. You're like, what if I just look silly? What if people laugh at me? What if I end up alone? Some of you have a fear of talking up here, sharing your story, and it's keeping you from getting baptized. It's keeping you from sharing a story of, that would bring God so much glory of the work that He is doing in your life. Remember, we call this room the living room for several reasons. One is that you're among friends here. This is not the middle school where we point and laugh. This is the body of Christ where we encourage and we are encouraged by what God is doing to hear faith stories of people continuing to follow in obedience. The what ifs are good in that they often reveal where we trust God the least. Now think about it. Think about your latest what ifs. Oftentimes, they reveal where we trust God the least. And the what ifs often, also often, reveal the worry that sometimes rests on our hearts. To the area of worry, Jesus had much to say in Matthew 6, 25-34, worthy of your time this week. Verse 27 says this, Jesus asked a great question, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And you could be like, yeah, I, I put my faith in the what-ifs all too often. Well, you're not alone. Scripture is full of people who did the same. Here are two examples in God's response to their what-ifs. Exodus 3 God lights up a bush and tells Moses that he will be the one to lead the Israelites out of slavery. He will be the one to go before the most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh, and say, let my people go. He will do this. all right. To which Moses replies in verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God begins his response with this, I will be with you. Then Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? And what shall I tell them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. God is saying, you can't describe me that easily. I am God. I am who I am who I am. You can't box me into just one characteristic, one attribute. I am the great I am. And if you want to keep reading about this conversation between God and Moses, look at Exodus 4 this week. More what-ifs for Moses and more of God reminding Moses of God's power and strength. So to the fear that Moses was beginning to feel, God responds with the truth of who God is. Another example, fast forward further into the Old Testament and get to Jeremiah Jeremiah being, being appointed a prophet by God, which was not a popular role. Basically, he was, go- he was going to call the people to repent, to turn from their sin, turn back toward God in his ways. It's still not a popular role, I can tell you from experience. So as a result, he would not be well-liked. But this was the calling that God had on his life. Jeremiah 1, verse 4, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And here come the what-ifs. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. What if I don't say the right things? What if, I, what if they think I'm too young? What if I fumble my words into those what ifs? God responds, but the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. God didn't simply say, get over it. Get over it, Jeremiah. He didn't simply say that, but he said, Do not fear, for I am with you. You have nothing to fear because I am your God. Look at Joshua 1 this week for another story of God reminding his people of this truth. All through the Bible, you you see the command, Fear not, do not fear. It's the most frequently given command in all of Scripture. But over and over, when you read, Do not fear, you see right next to it something along the lines of, For I am present with you. Don't be afraid because I've not left your side. Don't be scared because I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. You see it there in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1, eight. You see it in Isaiah 41, verses 10 and 13. You see it in Jeremiah 46, verse 28. Do you remember when you were younger? Maybe you had an older brother, sister growing up, and a storm came. The thunder's really loud. The lightning strikes seem to be on top of your house. Do you remember what you would do It'd be late at night. You'd wake up scared because of the storm and you'd run into your parents' room or you'd run into your brother or sister's room. And in your head, you knew you knew that they couldn't stop the storm. But you simply wanted to be in their presence. You wanted them to hold you and tell you in the, in the end, the storm will pass. It'll be okay because I am here. This is what Scripture teaches over and over for those who are in Christ. That through the storms of life, he has promised to be with those who follow him. That in the end, if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have nothing to be fearful of because Jesus has overcome the world. We have an everlasting hope knowing that heaven awaits us. In John 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples that soon he's going to die on a cross. Grief and pain will come to the disciples. Trouble will come. I'm soon going to leave this world and return to the Father, he tells them. And you will all be scattered. You're going to leave me alone. You're going to desert me. And yet in the end, Jesus said, I am not alone, for God the Father is with me. And then he tells them this at the end of that chapter, verse 33, John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The anecdote to fear is faith in Christ because he, has the, he is the one that is overcome. So where do we go from here? What are practical next steps to take this week as we seek to walk by faith and not by sight? First thought, we need to identify the fear. We need to call it by name. We need to ask God to reveal it to us. What are you afraid of? What's kind of in your backpack of fears right now? Is it a fear of loss, failure, rejection, the unknown? Maybe a combination of one or two or several? And then we need to share that fear with another believing friend, someone in your community group, in your home, in the body of Christ. We need to get that thing into the light. We need to pray, James 1 5, one of my favorite verses to pray. James 1.5, that talks about asking God for wisdom because He's generous to give it. He's faithful to give it. We need to ask God, say, what does what this fear, what does this what if reveal about my heart? Is there some massive area that I'm not trusting you in? Some area that's I really haven't surrendered to your lordship? And then we need to begin to speak truth of Scripture into these areas of fear. We need to write it down. We need to say it aloud. Find ways to remind yourself. And, and so to that, you might be like, okay, where's this truth found? Well, it's found in Scripture, and here's a couple psalms to direct you to this week. Psalm 34 and 56, both would be worthy of your study this week. A couple verses from them. Psalm 34, 4 says, "...I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears." I sought the Lord. He was my trust. He was my stronghold. My life was pointed toward Him. My eyes were fixed on Him. He was the author and perfecter of my faith. I was not. I'm not the author. I'm not the perfecter, so my eyes are fixed on Him. I sought the Lord. It's not just He delivered me from all my fears, but I sought the Lord, and as I did that, He delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 56 Verses 3 and 4 says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. The more we get a biblical view of the greatness of our God and His power, His love, His might, the better our fears are kept in their proper perspective. So when we are afraid or, or prone to fear, we will trust in the Lord. Imagine what a church would look like if it were driven by faith and not by fear. When it steps out in faith and refuses to walk by sight alone. When it boldly pursues the mission of God and trusts in Him completely. Trusts in His sovereignty. His ability to change hearts. His ability to provide. His ability to direct and lead. Well, I would say that kind of church would make an eternal imprint on lives, on a region, on a world, and bring God just a massive, massive amount of glory. I pray, Crosspoint, that would be said of us. That we would not be afraid, but we would trust in the Lord. As we seek Him, worship Him, that He would deliver us from all our fears. That we would continually walk by faith and not by sight that we wouldn't let the opposite of that creep into our hearts where we want to walk by sight alone and do things under our own power. But we, we would believe God to do God-sized things in lives, in a church, in a region, in a world. And we would continue to walk by faith as we seek Him, that He would deliver us from all our fears and we'd walk in freedom, not chained up to our fear, not chained up to anything that is contrary to God's word, that he would give us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that through you, in Christ, as believers, we have been given a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. I confess, we confess that there are times where we feel a, a, a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity. We confess that. We get that before you we confess that isn't from you. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please you, Lord. So remind us to trust in you when the fear wants to creep in 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 its toxic way. Remind us to earnestly seek you, believing in who you are and then living our lives in response to that truth. We want to be a church of big God-sized faith, biblical faith, We want to please you. We want to honor you. In you alone, Lord, we put our trust and faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's volunteers up here after the service to pray with. If this message has stirred up something in your heart that you want to respond to, there's volunteers here to walk with you through that. God bless. See you next week.